Morning, Glory America. The sun is shining over this beautiful city on a hill that we call home. It's another wonderful Monday morning, which means another episode of the Next Generation Leader Podcast. It's just me today. It's Zach. I'm without my trusty co-host, Coop McCullough. And there's a couple of you right now that are reaching for your phone to turn this off and to go to another podcast or to another song because you listen just for the comedy, just to start your week with just a slight chuckle from all Zach and Coop. But I want to ensure you that this is an episode that you're going to want to continue and finish out. And for the rest of you that are here for the wisdom, for the depth, from from the learning that we have from the, the generation that has gone before us, this is one you're going to want to listen to as well. We have a fascinating and amazing conversation that I can't wait to share with you. But before we get there... Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg. Like I said, without my trusty co-host, Coop McCullough, but let me assure you folks that this is an important episode that I ensure you you're going to want to listen to and listen to it all the way through, because this is something that I'm passionate about, something that I get really excited about, and it's the intersection of faith and politics in our country of freedom, our country as we know that we can be so grateful for that we as the American experiment did something different than what was custom, different than what the, the settlers had come from. They came from Europe. They came from, from France, from Britain, from, from Spain, all with established churches that, that this is what we believe. This is the state church of our country. But our founders did not want that. They wanted something different. They wanted a country that was free and that was unimaginable to all the people, that, that they weren't going to have a state church, that they were going to have freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom, freedom of religion. This was crazy. But however, by separating the religion and government and granting freedom to all religious groups, America launched a new political experiment that was unprecedented in world's history, and it is still standing to this day. But as we know, it is fragile. Freedom is fragile, and it is not something that we are are entitled to, that it must be passed on from generation to generation. It is something that we must be educated on, is something we must be grateful for every day, and is something we must pass on to the next generation. We know that in the 20th century, more people died because of their religious convictions than any other century in human history. Yet America, the United States, which is the most religiously diverse country in all of the world, was able to divert that why is that? It's a remarkable achievement that's traced directly to the religious liberty clauses in the First Amendment of the Constitution. We know what it says. We have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of the right to protest our government. These freedoms were the first liberties given to us by the founders because they thought that they were that important and in spite of the occasional setbacks and, and outbreaks of religious bigotry, the American experiment in religious freedom has held up till today. But it is now our turn to take the torch and run and make sure that all Americans, all people in the future are granted the religious freedom and the religious liberty that we have today. That freedom that is so fragile, yet so special and so scandalous. We must continue to fight and to press forward. And on the front lines of this is the First Liberty Institute, which is the largest legal organization in the nation dedicated exclusively to defending religious liberty for all Americans. They believe that every American of any faith or no faith at all has a fundamental right to follow their conscience and live according to their beliefs. The largest legal system that is 
is bent on defending you, defending your religious liberty within these United States. So we get to talk to the wonderful Keisha Russell, who's a counsel with the First Liberty Institute, who's concentrating on religious liberty and the First Amendment. And she has an interesting background. She comes from teaching. She was in the public school system of Atlanta, Georgia, and then be- went to law school and became uh, the counsel for First Liberty and has done some really amazing things. And I want to share a quote that she she has shared with us. She said, students need religious freedom. It is a principle that will serve them well in life because it demands that students listen to ideas or people that you may not agree with. And this is something that we've also talked about before on this program is that we are in a country that people can't disagree. We can't or at least we can't disagree well. We know we can disagree, but we don't do it well. But this religious freedom that we have to listen, we have to talk to, to people that religiously don't believe the same way we do and politically don't believe the same way we we do, but we can listen and we can talk to and we can have thoughtful conversation. We can have thoughtful dialogue that builds up our country, that builds the character. That is the fabric of our nation is freedom. We are built on the foundation of freedom and the first pillar is religious freedom, the liberty to choose, the freedom of conscious to live by which you believe and that's what first liberty must defend and that's why this interview that's why this conversation is important and i hope you listen and i hope you heed it and i hope it is helpful so without further ado here she is miss keisha russell Well, Keisha, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for meeting with me. And let me just ask you some questions about what you get to do at First Liberty, what you're passionate about, and then how you can educate and how we can teach people in these same areas. But first, I want you to start by just kind of introducing yourself. And who are you? Where are you from? How did you get to where you are today? Well, um, my name is Keisha Russell, um, and I grew up in Palm Beach County, Florida, Um I really did not have aspirations to be a lawyer. I mean, I thought about it when I was real, real young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I started thinking about what I wanted to do, I thought about journalism and being a writer and things like that. I didn't really consider going into the into law. And uh, I ended up becoming Christian at 17. I went on a Salvation Army college tour and uh, then decided at that point I wanted to give my life to God. And um, from that point on, I kind of, was set on a very different path. I taught for a couple of years. I taught special education in Atlanta public schools. Uh, I joined Teach for America, which is a really great organization, um, striving to kind of close the achievement gap. And uh, then a couple of years in, I got the, just the nudge and the pull to go to law school and I couldn't really escape it. It just was Mm -hmm kind of following me. And so I tested that by applying to law school, you know, taking the LSAT. And I just thought, well, never really thought about, I haven't thought about doing this, haven't prepared to do this. So I feel like, you know, if it's the right thing, then the doors will open. Um, And they did. Uh, So I ended up going to Emory Law School, um, which is a great school, a top 20 law school, um, which I thought was, you know, just very providential given I had not thought about that path before. And at Emory, there was a center called the Center for the Study of Law and Religion. And I had no idea that religious liberty litigation existed before I started studying in that center. I was a research assistant and then law clerk. And, um, you know, that's where my sort of passion for religious liberty 
uh, I guess, just ignited. And that kind of leads into what you're doing today at First Liberty. If you want to talk about that for a moment, then we'll go back in. I have another question about your story, but what do y'all do at First Liberty? What's the mission? What's the goal? And and why did it pull you there? So First Liberty is the nation's largest organization dedicated exclusively to defending religious liberty for all Americans. And we uh, represent all religions against religious discriminations and we do it for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, we um, have been doing it since 1997. Our fearless leader, uh, Kelly Shackelford, was trying to decide whether he should become a pastor or a lawyer. Um, felt like he had a really great gift for speaking um, and thought either one of those professions would do. And uh, a friend of his told him, well, we have a lot of pastors, but we don't have that many Christian lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to become a religious liberty lawyer and through a lot of really amazing fortunate events was um, able to start the, an organization that would help defend people's religious freedom and do it for free. Mm. It's amazing. I think there's probably somebody listening to this that has kind of like you found the Lord at the age of 17, trying to figure out what to do, but they feel called to give their life over to the Lord and what he has for them. But that doesn't always necessarily mean just full-time ministry. And that could be, you could be called to the local church or some sort of parachurch ministry. But for you at first it was teaching and then it was law. So kind of talk about that transition. What was that call like? Because obviously they're kind of teaching and law are a little different. What, what led into that decision? Uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot. Uh, a lot of people don't understand the transition, but you'd be surprised uh, to know that I've met a lot of teachers turned lawyers. Hmm. Um, and I guess just generally speaking, you know, teaching requires a lot of speaking on the fly. Um, and it really, in a lot of ways diminishes your, uh, your nerves for public speaking, because you're always on call as a teacher and you're always having to speak and can tell you that for most people, for most teachers, there's nothing scarier than that first day of school where you've got, you know, these 15 or 20 or 25 children staring up at you and you've got to lead that situation, no matter how young they are, it's, it can still be, um, uh, cause a lot of anxiety. Right. And so I think, uh, that sort of public speaking element, I think, is one part of it. But then there's this other issue that if you where I taught um, in Atlanta public schools and the, and the students I taught, I had to advocate for them all the time as, as special education kids and lawyers are advocates. And so you're, I was constantly representing these students in just different areas um, of their education and even in extracurricular activities, getting them to participate in things and just constantly looking out for their well-being and um, doing what I could in order to ensure that they were going to get everything that they were entitled to in their education. And so in that way, teaching was very similar to being a lawyer um, in terms of the advocacy and the speaking. And so the transition really isn't wasn't that far in my thinking. Um, and I and I think you know, the idea, people don't think of lawyers as public servants, but we are. That's what yeah. that's what we are supposed to be. We're officers of the court and our job is to represent the general public and the court of law. And so to me, the that public service um, element is is just another piece that really connects teaching and being a lawyer. Um, but more personally, I think 
I felt like some of the things that I saw in the classroom, some of the things I saw in education um, really opened my eyes to just some of the ways in which our country could be even better than it was. Now, I I think America is an amazing country and I feel incredibly privileged um, and blessed to have been born here and to get an education here. Um, But I feel like as a responsible citizen that my job is to always contribute uh, to the advancements in society. And I felt like I could do more than just teach. And I knew I was a gifted teacher. I saw a lot of progress in my students and academic and their academic performance, but I felt like I needed to do more and that God wanted me to influence the law um, at a higher level. Now, when I was starting to get these inclinations, you know, and it's really a lot of people ask me, how do you know when that's happening? How do you know? It, it's just something that it's hard to describe um, <clears throat> something like that, unless you have a relationship with the Lord. And uh, when, when you know that you're being spoken to internally, and then your external world starts to confirm it. So I started getting these urges and thinking about it a lot and coming across a lot of uh, things about Emory Law, and that a lot of people in my life would just start talking about that and would start recommending it to me. And it was like I couldn't go anywhere without, you know, encountering it. And then the door started opening. And to me, that was sort of confirmation that maybe this was something I should at least pursue. Yeah. And so with that, um, you know, I, I, I just felt like God had given me these gifts and teaching was not. Uh, a large enough territory. I think I, I prayed the uh, prayer of Jabez at that point in time. Yeah. In that prayer, he asked, Lord, that you would enlarge my territory. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that, that where I was was not enough, um, that the territory was too small yeah. for what God had given me, what I had internally placed in me. Um, and so I thought law was the proper stage for me. Um, and so I, you know, like I said, I just, I just, I could have been wrong about this and I was open to that too, but I thought if the door's open and if I get into a law school as prestigious, um, and just a school like Emory, you know, if I'm able to get into a school like that, then that to me would be an indication that's an opportunity that I need to take. Um, and so I did. Well, it's listening to that small, still voice that you were constantly hearing those hints of someone mentioning it. It's, and it's, it's rare that that would happen. And I even think of the parable of the talents that you have been given these gifts. What are you going to do with the gifts that you've been given for the Lord and for his service? And that's what you've been able to do. And, and it's not to say that teaching is not a noble ambition, which it is, but for someone like Keisha with the gifts that she has been given and the talents that she has to do more and to, to further still his kingdom and also the rights of people. In, in our nation uh, is amazing. So thank you for, for your service and what you're doing. And, and speaking of this country being so great and what makes it so great is that you have the freedom of religion that we have, that you, you're able to practice uh, whatever religion that you uh, prescribe to uh, in this nation. So kind of give us a history, a background. Why did the founders establish this as one of the first liberties, as your uh, organization denotes, that it is that important that we are putting it in the First Amendment of our Constitution? Why did they think it was that important? Well, I think just generally, um, if you remember that, you know, we wanted our independence as Americans because first and foremost, we didn't want to be required to worship at the Church of England and bring our tithes there. And 
we were being compelled to worship in a certain way. And there is nothing more personal than your religious convictions and what you, what you believe spiritually. And I think that was enough for, you know, our, our founders to decide if someone can tell you what to, who to believe in, what to worship, where to pay your tithes and they can control every other aspect of your life. And so it has to be first. It has to be the foundation because out of it springs all these other uh, rights, like free speech, the right to pray to whatever God, uh, freedom of association, the right to associate with the people who believe just like you. Right. And then there's, there's just a whole host of things that come after that. And, um, so much religious persecution, right. And, and, and America's past. And, and as we, you know, sort of sought our independence, the young America trying to figure out what to do, And, you know, the founders seeing all of that, realizing that we have to give people the freedom to worship the way they want to, because otherwise you're going to have all this compulsion, all of this um, conflict that's really going to breed a society that is, in fact, not free. Um, And we really can't get away from the the authority and the rule that we were under if we don't provide our people with this foundational principle and this foundational right. And so. That is why, you know, religious liberty is the first freedom because out of it springs all the other rights. It is the impetus to, you know, every other type of freedom that we can engage in. Um, and it, because this is the most intimate freedom that exists yeah. uh, for a human being. Right. And would you like, we were founded on kind of Judeo Christian values, yet this was the most, uh, the, the first thing that they brought up that they were scared of the state church of the church of England, like you had mentioned. Is that kind of a, a, the reasoning behind? Obviously, there's the, the morality part of the founders, but they were scared of having a state church that everyone was supposed to worship under. Is that correct? Yeah. But yes, that is, that, that is true uh, for the most part. And I, you know, I think a lot of people ask me about this whole Judea Christian, the roots, and that is true. I mean, there's just no getting around it. I mean, the majority of our criminal law is based on a lot of the things and the principles that are in the old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The Supreme court has what the, the, the 10 commandments. I mean, it's every Moses is there. Yeah. Right. Like you cannot, you cannot separate Judeo-Christianity from America's founding, no matter how hard people try to do it, 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 they are fused together. But one of the reasons for that is that God himself, God of the Bible, has given us all the gift of choice and free will. Like we all are given the ability to choose him, right? Choose for yourselves this day what God you will serve. Mm -hmm. And God, of course, has the capacity to force us to do whatever he wants, but he allows us to make the choice um, and to choose to walk with him. And I think that sort of underlying principle, right, that's present all throughout the Bible is sort of the, the sort of underlying current there, why Christianity was so fitting for a country like America, uh, because America decided, okay, we're going to let everyone choose for themselves what God they want to serve to. And, and from that 
sprouts all of the other freedoms that we have as Americans, that we are based on freedom, that you have the free will to do as you please until it harms someone else uh, yeah. pretty much. But uh, it was so important to the founders that this was the first liberty. Why is it even more important today? And what are some like minor threats to religious freedom that might pass under our radar that we may not even realize, but, but it, they're threatening our religious freedom? And why should we protect that? Um, so, you know, I think one of the most subtle threats right now, um, is the miseducation that exists around the constitution, its importance, Mm. um, its purpose, um, and how we should deal with that. Um, America has a lot of errors and just there's a lot of nightmares that happened right, right. in America's past, but that doesn't change the fact that you America's still the great the greatest country in the world. I mean, everyone comes here for freedom. Right. We don't go anywhere else to, for freedom. You know, nobody's flying to China because they want to live a free life, right. right? Everyone comes here, and that is and will remain the same as long as we remember that. A flawed country is not necessarily a country that needs to be destroyed and then built back up from the bottom up. And that doesn't mean the core principles that we have embraced and that are found in our constitution need to be corrected. The constitution is so brilliant because it is a self-correcting instrument. Um, And when we as a country get off base, the constitution is what corrects that. So the nightmares that we'll mention, if we talk about things that people talk about now, including the, the, you know, racism and slavery and all of those things were corrected by looking at the principles that are in that document and right. saying that these practices are, do not comport with those principles. Um, they are contrary to the things that we've written in the declaration of independence. We cannot live by these documents and practice this behavior anymore. And that is, I mean, that just makes the constitution one of the greatest documents ever written. Um, because of that nature of the document that we can continue to correct ourselves um, and to strive to be a much better country. But unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are being taught uh, that the constitution is flawed, that it doesn't protect everyone, that there's so many issues with it, and that there are rights written into the constitution that don't need to be honored any longer. And the number one right that is being challenged right now is religious liberty, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly in the school context. Why is that? Because if you can train generations of people to no longer value this document, then you can begin to erode the freedom in that document without those people, without the objection of the people. And that ultimately we are the ones that protect the constitution Uh, The people, we the people, right, right, are the ones who are supposed to be the guardians of our own freedom, right? And if we don't do that, we won't have it anymore uh, because the the inclination of power and authority is always going to be to take more. And which is why in any tyrannical society, religious liberty is always the first to go. Because if you want to control people, you you got to get rid of the people who who believe that there is a power and authority higher than the government and that power and authority is God. And if you have people who believe that you will never be able to fully conquer them because they will always hold you 
um, and, and, and force you to be subject to principles that you cannot change. Um, and so, you know, I think, unfortunately, we live in a society where the prevailing uh, discussions and media and education does not teach these really important core facts about our founding, about the Constitution, about America, about freedom, about liberty. And people are now advancing these arguments that really are uh, advocating for oppression. And they they can't see it because they have not been taught to recognize the signs of oppression. Why would you uh, advocate for communism, socialism, Marxism, these things? Well, you you do it either out of ignorance or out of some sort of nefarious plot, right? I mean, there's no other way because no one advocates for these things without one of the two. You either don't know better or you you have ill that intention. Well, yeah. Right. Yes. Because there's no other reason you would do something. I mean, that those things are not good. They're not good things. They're not good societies. People are escaping every day from those types of government structures to come here. Um, and there are people who are advocating that America needs to look like these places that people no longer want to live in. Um, and so that that's, uh, I think, the biggest threat right now to religious freedom, because you got to get rid of the religious people if you want to advance these arguments and if you want to create such a society. And it's all 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 around us. It's just you're not going to see religious persecution on CNN. You're not going to see it in the New York Times. You know, you're not going to see these things broadcast. And I tell people all the time, persecution will not be televised. Right. You will not right. be able to see what's going on all the time. And you'll see it sometimes, you know, in our cases or in the media occasionally. But, you know, it's just not something that people are going to talk about until one day somebody's knocking on your door and saying, we want to come in. We heard you have a Bible in there. Mm. Now, that sounds far fetched, but it really isn't when you look at what's going on right now. Right. And it really is all weaved through the Old Testament, too, if you think of Nebuchadnezzar and, and you having to get rid of the people who know that there's a higher power and know that, hey, I'm not going to kneel to this statue because it brings right that there's much more. What do you say to the people who say the constitution is outdated, that it, it, the, the writers, the founders could not foresee the issues that we have today. Therefore it needs to all be torn down. Obviously I don't subscribe to this uh, thinking, but I've heard it been talked right. about. So what, what do you say to that person? The constitution is timeless because what it's really, uh, what it really has in mind is the heart and inclination of men. And that never changes, uh, no matter what time period you're in. The yeah. Constitution is taking into account the inclination of people to always seek more power. And so this idea of the separation of powers, the idea that you you divvy this power up, the idea that you divvy power up between the federal, the, the, the federal government and the state government, that you make it very, very difficult um, and, and impossible to really have one ruler in America is that idea, that concept that man cannot be trusted, which is a Judeo-Christian principle, right? right? The fact that men's hearts are evil by nature um, and only through, you know, sort of a constant spiritual relationship with Christ can you really even act right. And even then you're going to sin every day. You're going to be thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking, you know, the whole, the whole story. And that's the biggest difference is that we believe that man is flawed rather than the structures around us are flawed. Therefore they need to be torn down and rebuilt. 
knowing that they're rebuilt by men who are flawed. That's, that's the right. As well. That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, that that's just perfectly put. Um, and so that, that I feel like that's really the disconnect is sort of that fun, that core belief about human beings and understanding that the founders had those principles in mind. They didn't have a principle of creating some sort of utopia where everyone can um, exist in the realm of their emotions. It, it was kind of the opposite, you know, where yeah. we create freedom, uh, you know, to the extent it meets these principles and to the extent we can ever have one rule, one party, one, et cetera, telling everyone else and enforcing everyone, their beliefs on everyone else. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the fundamental problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how, how different people think about these issues and just the, the smallest issue is that man is flawed and that we know that America has never been a perfect country and it really, it never will be a perfect country because we are on a never ending effort towards the more perfect union that is, and it will never be a utopia on this side of heaven. But you mentioned a lot about schools. You come from being a teacher, you go, you become a religious liberty attorney. Now, uh, what are some things that we need to be wary of in schools, whether you're an educator, you're a parent or you're a student saying, I'm being educated on these things. What are some things to look out for? Well, um, number one, you really want to pay attention to what curriculum is being proposed in the school boards um, and at the state, like what they're talking about. Try not to ignore these things. And I tell this to conservative and, you know, Christian parents and even parents that always send their, their children to, you know, religious schools. Um, yeah. That part of the reason why we're in the situation with the education system is that many conservatives have abandoned the public education system and and and. Um, you know, for private school, which I think is great. And I, I have no issues with private school. However, the problem is when you do that, you no longer pay attention to what's going on in public schools. Right. And then, and so now we've got these generations of children. Or the majority of kids are. Right. That yeah. are now given over to this other ideology. Yeah. Right. Because there's no guard at those gates. Yeah. Um, and so I have to con- I have to really encourage everyone to stand guard at the public school gates because that is where we're going to have an issue when you know we we have it now <clears throat> you know we have a higher voting generation that doesn't then many ways is proving they don't understand economics yeah they don't understand history you know they don't they're not big fans of the country that they live in right and so that's the that's all a product of education you know and. I think if we pay close attention to what's going on in the public school realm, that we can really take back a lot of those issues. Um, now, as it relates to things that are already have already passed, curriculums like a lot of people ask me about critical race theory and such. Right. Look, I <clears throat> you can teach things you don't agree with if you teach them holistically. So what mm-hmm. do I mean? Okay, there's a difference between teaching evolution as a theory and teaching evolution as a fact. Right. Okay, because one is truth and one is not. Um, critical race theory is a theory. And right. so if we are teaching this to appropriately aged children, uh, teenagers is my recommendation, right? Mm-hmm. We teach it in such a way, and this includes you know, conservatives who are teachers um, and administrators, et cetera, that are trying to figure out what to do with this. Teach it in, in, in such a way in which you can present the pros and cons and you can teach 
your students how to critically think about these issues because why they're going to hear about it anyway. So yeah, you might right. as well give them the meat that they need to chew on these things thoroughly and draw their own conclusion about what's going on here and not be spoon fed what they're supposed to think. Uh, because whether you teach it to them or not, it's going to be out there. The sexuality stuff that people ask me about too, that they think now, I think people should really push back against any sexual curriculum that is not age appropriate. Yeah. Um, that without question is something that people should be fighting against and never stop fighting for. Um, because there's all sorts of issues with teaching underage children about sex before it's time to do that. Yeah. Um, so that's something that you should constantly fight. Um, once you get, you know, older and people are teaching about things maybe you do you do or do not agree with there are ways to sort of request religious accommodations either from teaching those things or participating in sort of a program or curriculum that is not in line with their religious beliefs but otherwise um i think it's best if you always supplement your child's education with material that's going to teach them how to deal with these issues because they're not going anywhere and trying to shield them from it is not going to help them. You've got to teach children how to deal with these things, um, how to discuss them. And if your religious beliefs are some of these things are not in line with what you think or believe you got to teach students how to discuss and to think through these materials biblically then. Right. So if you're a Christian and you think these things are not right, you have to, explain, get these students to explain why, why does the Bible say these things? Why are these things not good for you? And they have to be able to articulate them and understand it for themselves. Otherwise they're going to be talked out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the best, that's the best thing you can do is really give students the power to wrestle with these things with their own mind. Um, Because, you know, at one point shielding, students from things or your children from things was a possibility. That's not a case. That's not the case anymore. Uh, so you got to approach these things um, uh, with more wisdom. And being able to think, because I feel like my generation, even the generation behind me is losing the ability to think critically about certain issues because one side is spoon fed to them. And, yeah. and you, there's a quote I have from you. It says, students need religious freedom. It's a principle that will serve them well in life because it demands students to listen to ideas or people that may that they may not agree with. And what it goes back to what you talked about, teaching holistically and, and teaching a, a concept as a concept or a theory as a theory, because it's something that they're going to have to deal with and know how to refute or how to support whichever the way that might go. So how do we get our students back into talking about issues, thinking through them critically? And how do we, how do we teach that? How do we kind of regrow that in our next generation? Well, number one, we have to take back the, the, the curriculum, the standards, we have to um, take ownership over what's going on there. So we really have to be vigilant about what uh, the, the, the curriculum standards are. Um, and then I think the other thing is at this point, you know, as we're trying to sort of take back that mantle right now, you have to, you have to take charge of supplementing students' education. Um, and that is supplementing it with, um, materials from other organizations that are releasing things. Um, I know there's a lot of homeschool curriculum, things like that. Supplement that information with the found the founding of America, the, the necessity of the constitution, 
start talking to these, you know, students about how the, what, what, the rise and fall of the Soviet Union, the yeah. what happened in Nazi Germany? How did that happen? How did it start? What was the propaganda like? You know, the the similarities between what we see in those countries and sort of the WAFs showing up here are really they're they're just they're really easy to, to spot if you know what you're looking for. But most people and don't. even knowing current events of what's going on in Cuba right now. That's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Where, by the way, they're waving American flags in the street as right. a symbol of what? Freedom. Right. right? Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I think talking to students about these things so they can recognize these things on their own, because, you know, sort of the days of uh, shielding or thinking that, you know, if I just stick them in the certain environment, they won't have to deal with these things. Yeah. Like I said, those days are long gone and we just yeah. have to really empower students to be able to have these conversations on their own because, you know, the, the, the narrative and the rhetoric is very persuasive. It sounds good if you don't know what you're talking about, right. Yeah. You don't know anything. It sounds great. Um, and so we have to give them all the tools that they need in order to mentally combat uh, what's happening around them. I think that's so good to remember, especially as uh, parents, that the days of being able to shelter and shield are long gone because your kids are going to have to deal with these issues. And whoever said it first typically said it right in their mind. And I, I hope these issues are dealt with at home by parents through these curriculums or different things that you've brought up. I want to kind of switch to teachers. Say there's a teacher listening a Christian, he or she's a Christian and trying to figure out how that they can incorporate their faith, what they believe to be true into their, when they're working at a public school, working and putting that into their curriculum and using it in a way that you had mentioned, teaching things holistically and also being able to be careful about what they can and can't do. What, what are those restrictions and how, how would you advise them to go about using their faith and their, their teaching? Well, the only things that you know, so more explicitly teachers can't do is, uh, you know, lead students in prayer and, you know, force them to proselytize them or force them into like reading religious material in uh, pursuit of them advancing that faith. Right. So you can have them reading religious material if it's educational in nature. Right and teach students about Christmas and whatever, and open up the stories in the Bible to show them this is what people, you know, believe about Christmas um, because it's educational. Uh, But the, if you think about teachers' religious liberty rights in schools, it's kind of like this spectrum, right? Where you have the no proselytizing, not leading students in prayer. And then you have the, some of the latest Supreme court statements on teachers' rights that, it's not true that student that teachers don't have any First Amendment rights in the school, uh, that they do have those rights. And, you know, First Liberty has a case, the coach by the name of Joseph Kennedy, who was fired from Washington, Washington High School for praying on the 50 yard line after the games to give God thanks. Mm-hmm. School district asked him to stop, wouldn't uh, we sued anyway, we're in serious litigation right now that's been going on for many years um and you know we saw we went to the supreme court they sent it back down because of some factual disputes but in that statement that they sent down the ninth circuit had said 
Well, anytime a teacher or coach can be seen by students, they don't have any First Amendment rights. Now, that's pretty scary. That is a big deal. Very big deal. Yeah. Very big deal. Now, the Supreme Court said in their statement, not the opinion, because they didn't actually take the case because they sent it back down, like I said, but a statement that four of the conservative justices issued said, well, no, that's absurd. Right. Very troubling. We've never said that that's the case. So the the spectrum is somewhere between the two, right? And teachers always want me to give them these guideposts. There really aren't any right now, except for the one that I gave you. That's the boundary. Now with everything else, number one, if you're a Christian, you're any religion, you're what you believe will exude out of you through your actions, through how your teacher students, yeah. if you follow Christ, the spirit of God will be in everything you do. And so there's no reason to, you don't have to explicitly proselytize. It is you, you are the testimony. Mm. Um, and so you don't have to worry about that night shining through. If you're a Christian, they're going to know. I yeah. mean, they're just going to know it. Um, now, <clears throat> As it relates to teaching, and I would say you you weave a lot of this thing throughout these things throughout the curriculum because they're they're going to be part of the curriculum. You want students to be talking about um, and to know about these differing views and opinions on a lot of these, especially on these controversial issues, if that's what you're supposed to be teaching, right? You always want it to be subject matter appropriate, but it's everywhere. I mean, Christianity comments on everything, yeah. um, and so. To me, it's possible to really interweave that um, and interweave other religious beliefs from other cultures and as well, because you want students, as I said, to be uh, critical thinkers. You want them to have deep, you know, wells of knowledge to to dig into um, and to be able to um, uh, to search when they're in conversation with other people. Right. Uh, the problem is that you've got everyone's got this inch, uh, an inch deep worth of knowledge, um, and they think they can comment on everything. Right. right. You know, they just don't know enough. Um, and so we want to create more students that do know enough. And if you're a believer, you know, I, I felt like everything I did in the classroom was an extension of that. And all my kids know I was a Christian. I mean, I never really even ever had to say that. They just knew. Um, and so. It'll, it'll just be in everything that you do. And the spirit of God will work in that classroom every single day. And there'll be nothing anyone can do about it. Yeah. I love that. And I think that should be so, it's so encouraging for, for teachers to say, it is you, you are the witness and just be that. And uh, it's so good. But I want to ask you one more question before we go. Uh, just what advice would you give to your 20 year old self on a practical level? Uh, what advice would you look back and give to yourself? Um, just probably not to worry so much, you know, all that stuff you think about now, you guys, I mean, you think Zach, you guys think everything's is so serious, you know, (laughs) really not. And the things you think you want right now, you may not want in five or even 10 years, you know, so sometimes you just have to make a move. I know a lot of people who they don't know what to do, so they don't do anything, Mm. right? Sometimes you got to make a move, give God something to correct. Mm. you know, so that you can just always keep moving forward. And I think one of the most important traits that you can have is perseverance um, and resilience. Resilience is really it because it's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens in life. And there are going to be days you don't want to get out of bed. 
And there are going to be days, and I hope that this doesn't happen, but I know it does happen, especially a lot, that you would prefer not to be alive anymore. Mm -hmm. And even in thinking about those things, knowing that God always has something for you, there's always another path. You can get out of anything. If you're still here, still breathing, God has something else. And there's there's going to be another way. Uh, and God can repair anything. Um, and so at 20, there are things that you think, oh my God, this is the end of the world, but it really isn't. Um, and you will encounter things that will show you that it wasn't the end of the world. And no. um, always moving forward and and running the race, you know, in such a way that you can win. Um, and you can't do that. If you fall, you just got to get back up and keep going. I mean, that's just how this thing goes because uh, life can be very tough sometimes. Um, and so we have to try not to be too fragile. Um, you know, you take your days and you cry. And then just remember that after that, those those last tears are shed. You, you're getting up and you're going to do it again. Um, you got to keep going. You just got to keep going. I love it. I think it's great advice. Just keep making moves, keep moving forward, never give up, have the resilience to stand up for what you believe in. Don't worry so much. It's all going to work out because if you got breath in your lungs, that God has a purpose for you, whether it's teaching in a classroom, whether it's uh, litigating before the Supreme Court, there's purpose for you being here. Keisha, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and for sharing with us today. Absolutely, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. And if uh, any of your listeners want to see our cases uh, track us. We've got some great stuff going on. We just, yes, how can they connect with y'all? Firstliberty.org. Um, and we just had a cert petition grant at the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, a couple weeks ago um, in a, a case called Carson versus Macon. It's a main tuition voucher case mm-hmm. uh, where the state will not grant religious, uh, will not allow parents to use their vouchers at religious schools. Uh, so we're, we're really excited about that case. We're fighting that with Institute for Justice. Um, so that that's something to watch for in the next couple of months. Um, here, we'll probably have the argument um, in the winter, and then we'll get an opinion in the spring, likely. So look for that. But definitely connect, connect with us at firstliberty.org. Uh, you know, sign up for our newsletter and you'll be able to see everything that's going on. And if anything ever happens and you're wondering what to do, um, just contact us and we will see if we can help you. And as usual, it is for free. Yeah, for free. And that's another thing you said on the website is don't worry about what uh, you're saying or doing because First Liberty's got your back. I love it. But Keisha, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much.